June, July, and August of this year, uh, we got 3.85 inches. And so that's second lowest on record, at least for the Rochester area. 1910 is the only one lower, and they got 3.75 inches. In farming and, you know, in the, in the world in general right now, I think the better you can adapt and make the best of a given situation, the more you can thrive and, and really do well despite the circumstances. Because yeah, we'll wait, wait around for it to be sunshine and roses, you know, that's, you have those days, but the, you know, the, then you can really appreciate them, you know, once you've, once you've gone through the other ones. Welcome to the 323rd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When I recorded the interview for this podcast in late September, I was standing on a southeastern Minnesota farm that was at the center of one of the hottest, driest growing seasons in the region on record. In fact, at one point one of the farmers attending the LSP pasture walk I was at showed me the latest Minnesota drought monitor map on his smartphone. The area we were in was a vivid red stain on the map, a sign the region was suffering through what experts call extreme drought. It really was one for the record books. The hosts of the pasture walk, beginning farmers Nathan and Amy Virgin, made it clear that this year's extreme weather has required them to make adjustments to the management of Silky Cow Farm, their organic dairy operation in Winona County. Their herd of around 65 milkers and young stock relies heavily on rotational grazing, and it was clear the lack of rain and blistering temperatures had not been kind to the grasses and forbs the Virgins have in their pastures. Fortunately, since Nathan and Amy began the process of taking over the operation from retired farmers Arlene and Mel Hershey five years ago, they've focused on adaptation and flexibility. A cornerstone of their ability to roll with the punches has been to utilize techniques like adaptive rotational grazing to build soil health and thus boost their pastures' resiliency. During the LSP pasture walk, participants were shown what adjustments have been made on Silky Cow Farm during a long, hot summer of 2023. And there was an energetic discussion about what lessons were learned that could be applied to future growing seasons. For example, the farmers are reconsidering their past concerns about using alfalfa as a pasture forage, given how well its deep-rooted plant structure seems to ride out drought conditions. They're also working more toward diversifying their enterprise base so that they aren't as vulnerable economically and agronomically. As Nathan made clear in our interview afterwards, it's next to impossible to predict what curveballs the weather will throw in the future which makes building a healthy soil biome that can weather extremes more critical than ever. It's a little like having a savings account in the soil bank to prepare for a rainy day. Or conditions that are quite the opposite. Nathan started our conversation by describing just what impact the summer of 2023 has had on the way that they produce milk. June, July, and August of this year, so the the kind of the summer months, summer main summer growing months, June, July, and August of this year, uh, we got 3.85 inches. Mm. And so that's second lowest on record, uh, at least for the Rochester area. 1910 is the only one lower, and they got 3.75 inches. So, yeah, there was a, there's one, I think the next one is up to like four and a half or mm. five inches, somewhere in there. So it's yeah. <laughs> it's not even close. And, you know, and, and some people close, you know, relatively neighbor, you know, close neighbors got 
more and less rain than we did. So it's, you know, it's not saying everybody in this area experienced the same, but it's definitely isn't, you know, indicative of the general area. It's not a, you know, it's not, not something you want to see very often, you know, a, a dr the worst drought in a hundred years, you know, so uh, hopefully, hopefully next year is not a, you know, the worst drought in a, you know, 150 years, you know, so. Well, on the one hand, you can say, well, I'm learning so much from going through this drought, but on the other hand, you maybe want to say, I've learned enough. I can go back to normal <laughs> exactly, now. Exactly. <laughs> I've learned enough. I'll just pass on what I know to my grandchildren, you know, and hopefully so they wouldn't, hopefully we won't have one that bad for another hundred years. So typically, last couple of years, I've been finishing up grazing around Thanksgiving. Often, sometimes there's a few weeks of supplemental feed there in, in there as I finish up grazing. But I think last year I was 100% grazing until Thanksgiving, and then I went full feed. And then this year, it looks like we'll be finishing up around the 1st of October. So we're losing, you know, six to seven weeks of, you know, year-end grazing. But, and then on top of that, you know, I'm also grazing a bit tighter than I normally would. And so, you know, I don't, there isn't as much, you know, leftover out in the field for the, right. <laughs> the, the, the microbes and the other stuff that consumes that, um, that litter on top of the soil at the end of the year. So, you know, it's, it's in some ways even worse than that. So I think, I mean, I think it's common going through any difficulty in life, you know, you kind of you go through at least part of it and then you look and see, hey, what could I have done better? And, you know, what can we change to, if, you know, of course you rarely go through the same thing twice. So, but yeah, you know, I've definitely looked at, had to readjust my thinking on, you know, I'm looking at some of these pastures going, well, you know, yeah, orchard grass most years is great, but, you know, in a drought, drought year like this, you know, you get a little bit of growth here and then, a lot of a lot of the orchard grass has just quit. You know, I haven't gotten anything. You know, it just sits there and does nothing. You know, so it's like, okay, well, what can I? You know, because I look at the one field where I worked it up and I planted some, you know, a new pasture mix, and you know, it didn't ultimately end up taking off very well. But I did get a, a field full of lambs quarters primarily, and it's like, well, even the lambs quarters got more more tonnage per acre this year than the than most of my grasses did and so you know you start evaluating okay how can I how can I take advantage of that in the system that I have to uh, you know grow more can more more forage consistently you know and and you know while keeping costs reasonable you know and so you know alfalfa will probably be part of that for me sorghum sedan will probably be part of that you know I definitely you know, it isn't just going to be one thing for sure. You know, I think it's going to have to be, you know, kind of approaching it from every angle, uh, you know, whether we're going to, you know, and I don't know whether we're going to, you know, is next year the drought going to be worse? Is it going to be better? You know, I don't know. It certainly hasn't broken yet. So um, we'll have to, you know, just take it one one week at a time, one day at a time and, and keep learning, keep, you know, adjusting. And, you know, I think that's that's part of uh Part of farming, part of a part of a life well lived. A little bit, yeah. That's one thing you made a really good point is. So you could say, well, I'm going to do all these things to plan for a really dry year next year. But you have a good memory of just a couple of years ago, incredibly wet. It could be again. We just it's just really hard to predict what's going to happen. So it sounds like one of your strategies is to try to stay as flexible as possible and not get maybe super invested in one way of either. Uh, how your your pastures, what your pastures are dominated by, or how even the size of your herd, that kind of thing, that you're trying to stay a little bit flexible in that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the goals for the farm here is to de definitely diversify. You know, I've I've spent many years uh, working 
who are selling direct to consumer and raising all sorts of things on my farm. You know, at this point, it's now mainly a bunch of products for ourselves and then, you know, mainly milk for, you know, the, uh, you know, as far as a saleable product. And I'm definitely looking to diversify, you know, so that I'm not just dependent on, say, you know, how how well the orchard grass in my pastures does or even the alfalfa, you know, but instead, you know, starting to diversify out into other things, with, be it other species that are, you know, slightly de- de- less dependent on grass or or even looking at things, you know, I I got some grapes and I got some apples and you know those those have all done much better this year than you know not as good as last year but still compared to the you know a lot of my pastures they've performed much much better. Yeah, I think I think diversifying and in, in not just because I see oh the alfalfa's performed really well this year it's like okay yeah I think I will include more of that in my pasture mixes and up the percentage of it in my pastures i would like to look into some more annuals as well it's more of those deeper rooted plants and see how much of those i can kind of encourage and you know even if it's just on the margin around the edges that you know it makes a difference you know, in developing just kind of a, a working ecosystem yeah and speaking of which you had talked about when you first um i think came onto this farm was it in 2018 18, yeah. 2018 one of the things one of your real goals was to you felt like it was a little bit more dominated by alfalfa than you'd like and you you felt like with for the grazing system you wanted to do that wasn't going to stand up as well so you kind of went about trying to rehash rehab the pastures get more grass species but it sounds like this year has maybe changed your attitude a little bit toward alfalfa yeah it's definitely definitely made me rethink my strategy in regards to alfalfa i was kind of moving away from alfalfa and looking more at red clover and just a you know a well diversified pasture mix which i'm i'm still i still think is the way to go but i think alfalfa may at least for now play a bigger role in that than i had initially envisioned you know i i kind of had alfalfa there as a maybe almost more of an afterthought um yeah do a little bit here a little bit there but seeing his performance in the drought has been has been quite impressive to me and how well it's stood up withstood the the lack of surface moisture and having that deep tap root really able to reach down and gather up that moisture from far below um has really made a big difference you know how how much forage i've had this year you you showed us one i think you said had been 70 to 80 percent grasses and some other species and alfalfa was definitely in the minority there and it's completely flipped it's it's like 70 80 maybe 90 percent alfalfa now yeah yeah no it was it really was amazing to me and and even talking to some of the other guys here they were kind of seeing the same thing where you know fields that were dry and they you know didn't really see alfalfa in there at all other years it was just kind of volunteering slash popping up kind of filling in the gaps because of the drought it's like I think alfalfa has a role to play there. I also am curious what other, you know, how much some of the other uh, perennials out there, deep-rooted grasses and that kind of stuff might be able to supplement and fill that role as well, some of the more native type stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, I'd be interested to see what, what some other people have experienced this year with some, some of those natives, you know, if they're actually able to reach down and continue to grow well in a year like this. Maybe they don't perform, you know, <laughs> have quite some of the performance of the highly bred, you know, other rye grasses and orchards grasses we have these days but that doesn't mean it doesn't have uh, a value there for sure so. yeah and it's kind of hard to argue with uh, <laughs> nothing like a visual i mean we went through some looked at some paddocks and it's you know it's like a lot all the pastures out here are looking pretty tough and pretty short but then all of a sudden here's this nice green patch and here <laughs> we are see it's september 21st we have come through i don't know how many 
heat waves, people have lost track. So it's kind of hard, hard to argue with that, how green that looks. And the cattle, I'm sure, love getting turned out into that. Oh, yeah, it makes them happy. The bulk tanks gets fuller. <laughs> My pocketbook appreciates it. So, yeah, it, it has, you know, multiple benefits, you know, all around. I think finding that balance of where, you know, okay, it's keeping it up. A part of the system where it can really benefit in those dry years, but not letting it take over where, you know, then in the wet years, you know, then the alfalfa doesn't like it nearly as much. And you're wishing you had a little something else to, you know, supplement and, oh, you know, get too heavy and you can deal with bloat and all that kind of stuff. So you've worked really hard on trying to rehab these pastures since you you started farming here uh, five years ago. And you had a really good example of one of the paddocks you had worked on. I I can't remember if you said it was like an eight acre paddock or it was on the backside of the farm that you had maybe the first year gotten four days of grazing out of it and you were able to improve that to more like, I think, 21 days? Or can you describe that kind of, and what was it that you were doing that was able to help extend that uh, that grazing period significantly? Right, right. Yeah, so we had a uh, eight-acre section of the of a field, basically the end of a, of a bigger field, and I'm not sure exactly how it was managed prior to me getting here but it was it was clearly in poor condition wasn't really much growing there to be honest you know it was some weeds but even the weeds were kind of not sad looking you know <laughs> it was yeah. just wasn't overly productive in any way and so uh, we did some bale grazing on it the first year so that definitely helped that was the first season I was there but the first season so we grazed some bales there that was the very first thing I did and then the rest of that year I think we got a total and it was a fairly wet year but I think we got with roughly 60 head I think we got about four to five total grazing days off that eight acres and then about four years later and it was a a you know a continual improvement uh, but by four years later we could graze the same acreage and get depends on the season I look at but between 21 to 26 days of grazing off that same acreage over the course of a season so how long how how many was it the next year or was it how many so that was about I think 20 after three years I think I was up to 21 days and by the fourth I think I was up to 26 so yeah it was it was a pretty dramatic improvement Um, a lot of that was just grazing it with proper rest periods and so then what happened was it that third and fourth year it was just covered in red clover Um, and so when you just have this beautiful mat of you know 18 to 20 and tall red clover you know the cows just love it and they're happy and you know you give them a quarter acre and they're full you know that's all they need for a day you know Um, and so that was a large part of it you know just grazing it in a way that allowed that to you know with enough impact and then enough rest for that to you know I didn't I didn't add that seed it was just there and and came through and and now the grasses have started filling back in it still needs some more work Um, the clovers have kind of died back out and so I neither need to put some more impact on it or continue to work on it to get, you know, continue it progressing and uh, improving. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see those examples of, oh yeah, here's where I started and here's where I got to. And you know, sometimes those yeah. things, it's easy to go unnoticed if you don't measure them and, oh yeah, we did make that improvement, you know, and then, and then just try to build on that. So that's what I was going to say. That must give you a real incentive to when things are tough, like yeah. this year, it's like, well, you know what, there is some improvements you can make and you see, those days equate into more milk in the tank and more profitability. I mean, that, that must really help give you, yeah, yeah. Uh, help you get through these tougher, tougher seasons. Yep. Yep. No, definitely giving some perspective on it always helps. You know, it's like, you know, you look at the summer, the May, June and July we've had this year and, you know, we haven't had, hasn't been this dry May, June and July 
in the area since, you know, 1910. And so if you go, wow, look, you know, we just came through a driest time we've had in over 100 years, you know, or driest summer we've had in over 100 years for the Rochester, you know, Minnesota area. And so it's like, okay, well, if we've made one year, you know, I don't... (laughs) I don't know if it turns into two years how that'll go, but you know, hopefully, hopefully between now and next May we get some moisture and and we actually start growing some good forage and and can return to at least somewhat of a semblance of normal for this area. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I it I kind of uh, yeah, we'll see what the what weather brings us. Yeah, and it's about it's overused, but trying to build resiliency so you can kind of adjust a little bit. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of interest in this. Um, shade system this uh portable shade mobile i guess you call it and you you had kind of hooked it up with a mister and it sounds like that was maybe a little bit of a bright spot you you found that that was a pretty simple thing that maybe had some uh, really pay it really paid off this year yeah no that was that was something that i've been i've thought about doing other years and i just haven't gotten around to it but when i saw the hundred degree temperatures in the forecast i i ran out and got the rest of the parts that i needed to get to throw the system together and and spent spend a couple extra hours putting it together and making sure that it worked and yeah it really seemed to keep the cows extra comfortable in the in the extreme you know 100 degree 100 degree plus heat and uh, relatively high humidity and it was it was really nice to see them you know both under there enjoying the shade and then, you know, being comfortable enough to go out and graze in the sun for a little while and, and you know, fill up their bellies and top off their rumens, uh, you know, in the middle of the afternoon heat and then, you know, being able to come back and kind of cool off again in the shade and in the mist. You know, it was nice to kind of be able to get some of that infrastructure, you know, and it, it's not quite the same as a you know, as a, as a barn with concrete and misters and fans and all that, but it's pretty doggone close and in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, in some ways, even more comfortable. Fortunately, we did have a good breeze. So it was, it was just about a, (laughs) just about a concrete barn with fans, misters and a, and a, you know, shade. So, um, it was almost there. So you said you actually saw some increase in milk milk yield on some of those really high days yeah. and you think that really helped yeah yeah no I, I was fortunate enough to have the the uh milk tester out right in the mi- smack dab in the middle of the heat wave and he's like yeah sorry to come during the middle of the heat wave some guys want to cancel when it's you know this hot just because the milk's always down i was like no i'm i'm on my best feed that i have had all year and i'm on the misters and the milk's definitely up so now is a great time and uh sure enough the milk was up a decent bit. I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I um, between those two, it, it makes a huge difference. Does something like building soil health become even more prevalent on your mind in a year like this, where it's that it's that long game of trying to build that soil health through rotational grazing and rest periods and that kind of thing? Where, yeah, you may still have not such a good year, but if you can build it th- through time and build that soil's ability to make use of moisture and have good aggregate structures. That's something you think about a little bit more? For sure, for sure. I mean, you know, it's part of it is, you know, help provide that that perspective, you know, like that was helpful for me, you know, for example, to just sit down and look, oh yeah, okay, this is like the driest summer we've had for over a hundred years. Okay, well, it's not just me going, oh, it's so bad, you know, why, why, (laughs) I don't like this, you know, but then, you know, looking at it going, okay, well, if this is, not to say we won't get more drought next year, but to say, look at it and put it in that perspective and say, okay, you know, this is, 
this is why you want a resilient farm that has good rich deep soils and then you know also to not become overly reliant on you know just a single thing you know it's like oh okay well it's a good thing i wasn't reliant on you know a crop that was needs six inches of rain to get going you know because <laughs> i would have been out of luck this year you know when you're working with nature when you have a, a soil you know soils and you're trying to build them when you have a rough year that's what you want a, a soil bank for you know you want to be able to pull on that so in that dry year yeah okay we don't do this every year but in a dry year maybe we do graze our grasses a little shorter just because we need to feed our cows something and so you know it's got to come from somewhere either i have to make the money somewhere to either i have to go borrow the money or go make the money somewhere or it's fertility gets to pay up a little bit so you know i probably will do some combination thereof you know a little bit of pulling from soil fertility you know it's not, maybe not the best thing to be great raising it off tight but it's it's what I have in front of me and so I'm going to utilize it and then you know hopefully hopefully in the coming years I'll have the moisture and I can pay it back in in excess but you know that's that's what you have a uh, savings account for you know that's what you have a soil account for is being able to pull from it in those times that are rough and this is definitely one of those years it isn't my ideal but I don't it does, it's not killing me to be looking out at my pastures going, oh, no, look what I'm doing to my pastures. I'm going looking at it going, okay, well, this is less than ideal, but this is far from an ideal amount of moisture we've gotten this year. And not for it to become an ingrained habit, but just f to realize the situation you're in and respond accordingly. Being able to adapt is critical, you know, I think in in farming and, you know, in the, in the world in general right now, I think the better you can adapt and, you know, make the best of a given situation, the more you can thrive and, and really do well despite the circumstances, because yeah, if we all, we all wait, wait around for it to be sunshine and roses, you know, that's, you have those days, but, the, you know, the, then you can really appreciate them, you know, once you've, once you've gone through the other ones and certainly the, you know, the other days, the rainy ones, the, the too hot, the too cold, they're more common. For more information on building soil health profitably, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 323 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612 816 9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. And word of mouth is the best way to spread the news about our podcast. If you like what you hear, tell at least one person about LSP's Ear to the Ground. Thanks to Laura Morgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.